Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Acts 2, 1 through 21. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya along the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants." In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God's holy word. We're a few weeks into taking a look at the book of Acts. And you cannot understand the book of Acts. You cannot understand the message, the message of Acts. And you, I would say you cannot understand the mission of God if you miss this account. If you miss this passage and its import, you can't understand what the book is about. Uh, you can't understand the heart of God, the God of the Bible. Especially today, I, I think this is a fitting passage for, for us living in a pluralistic society like America. Christianity can be accused of being exclusivist, uh, of being narrow-minded. Uh, that's something that, that you hear about Christianity. Christians are too exclusive and, and they're too narrow-minded. Well, I would say yes to the exclusivity charge, if, if what you mean by exclusive is that uh, Christianity contains and expresses a specific message that can't be altered. Uh, 
then I would say, uh, yes, absolutely. Christianity, its message is exclusive. But if you think that Christianity is narrow-minded, that it is narrow socially, that it's narrow culturally, that it's closed socially, that it's closed culturally, you're wrong. The message of Christianity is exclusive, but its reach is universal. And that is maybe the most important thing you can pull out of Acts chapter 2, the first part of Peter's sermon, which we're going to focus on today. Now, it's very easy and it's very intriguing to read Acts chapter 2 and, and to want to focus on the signs and wonders that you see taking place, the fire and, uh, you know, the tongues of fire and the mighty wind blowing. Um, that's, it's tempting. Uh, we're not going to focus on that today uh, because we don't want to miss Luke's primary concern in recording this account as history. Luke has a primary concern, and that's what we're going to focus on today. The reach of God's salvation plan turns out to be far greater than anyone had anticipated. It's such a strategic thing that the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Now, that's an old Greek word, and it, it, it meant 50th. Okay? Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover celebration. 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost. And, and on that day, the Jews celebrated the ancient Feast of Weeks. Uh, another name for it was the Feast of Harvest. This was one of three major feasts that if you were a devout Jew, it didn't matter where you lived in the world. You had to find your way back to Jerusalem and present your, your sacrifices at the temple in worship. Uh, so, so you have this, this Feast of Harvest. This is like an ancient Jewish Thanksgiving. Uh, think of it that way. Everybody's returning home. Uh, you know, the airports are full. People are coming, going. Uh, everyone in the world is in one place at one time. Okay? Think of it that way. Now, what, the other thing that happened over the centuries is the Jews began to associate Pentecost also with the anniversary of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. The rabbis started calculating over the centuries. And, and by now, by the, by the time of the, first, the early first century, uh, Pentecost meant two things to devout Jews. It meant thanksgiving for harvest, and it meant the giving of the law. So this is a big day, and, and everyone is back in Jerusalem. Anyone who, is, who, who, practiced, who, who practiced the religion of the Old Testament, whether they were a Jew or whether they were a Gentile who had converted to Judaism, uh, all these people, thousands upon thousands of people, have returned to Jerusalem to celebrate together. Okay? And now, what's so strategic about the Spirit's coming now is that all three continents of the world as they knew it are represented. You look through the list of nations and languages that you see in the passage. Africa is present. Asia is represented as well as Europe. And so you have, you have uh, people from all over the known world to them, the known world to them. Devout Jews and proselytes is the word, right? converted Gentiles. They're all there together. And then, and then what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up. Uh, upon the apostles and the 120 believers uh, surrounding the apostles uh, where they were staying and extending out into the city of Jerusalem. And, and what Luke tells us were signs 
accompanied the Spirit's coming. And, and specifically, Luke talks about three. There's wind, there's fire, and there's tongues. Tongues being many languages. Languages from all over the globe being spoken simultaneously. Uh, now, I know uh, thinking about wind and fire, I know that's, that's exciting and intriguing. Uh, but wind and fire is nothing new. As you read through the Old Testament, wind and fire represented the presence of the living God. You go back, you look in Genesis, and you look through Exodus, and you look through the prophets, and you see wind and the fire. And that's what happens when God shows up. But, but what's different, and this is why Luke focuses on it, the tongues. This is, this is something new, which is why it's so remarkable. So miraculously, the apostles begin to announce God's truth in many languages so that everyone who was there didn't matter where they were, whether they were from the far west, which would have been Italy, or whether they were from the far east, which would have been Persia, with the list of, of, of nationalities that you have here in Luke, in Luke chapter 2. Uh, regardless of where they were from, they could hear God's truth being proclaimed in their native tongue. From the mouths of these apostles, who, who are all from Galilee. Luke reminds us that they're from Galilee. Uh, so, that, so that those who are watching, uh, they say, uh, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, if you read through the Gospels, and if you look at, if you look at a few ancient historical accounts, apparently the people from Galilee, the apostles, they had a funny way of talking. They had a funny accent. It was a no, it's the reason people found out who Peter was the night Jesus was betrayed because his accent gave him away. The Galileans had a funny way of talking and it was very noticeable and it was considered kind of uh, backcountry and, and super, super blue collar and maybe low class by cosmopolitan people from Jerusalem and some of the major cities in that part of the world. You know, imagine yourself, you're, at, you're in the middle of Times Square in New York City, or you're, you're by the steps at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., or you're, you're somewhere in the Inner Harbor down in Baltimore, and, and you hear people speaking the truths of God in all of, these all of these languages, and you say to yourself, aren't these guys from Dundalk? That's really what's happening right now. And, and so they are amazed and they are perplexed, Luke tells us, and they all say, what does this mean? And so Peter stands up, and Peter begins to preach. And uh, we're going to cover the first half of his sermon today, and we're going to cover the second half of his sermon next Sunday. Uh, but the, uh, in essence, what Peter is saying in verse 17, he says, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what this means. And Peter quotes the, the prophet Joel from Joel chapter 2. And he says to them, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In a nutshell, Peter is telling them the last days have come. The last days that the prophets have talked about, they're here. When the kingdom of God, the power and justice and rule of God and love of God is invading humanity. The kingdom of God is near and it is advancing through this man, Jesus Christ, and what he did and what he taught. The last days that we have been waiting for are here. 
And what's the proof? The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And what does Peter mean by that? We know that the last days have come because the curse of Babel has been broken. Now, some of you may know the story of the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And what happened in Babel? Um, God says, look, I have a problem. Um, I've created humanity good. They've gone bad. And they're so talented and resourceful and brilliant that um, they can accomplish anything they want to accomplish together. And uh, it's interesting because in our society, we say, man, if humanity could just unite, just think of all the good we could accomplish. I respect that. The Bible has an interesting take on that. You know, if, uni- if, humanity, if humanity in their current state united, there is no end to the destruction and depravity that we would inflict upon the world. And God is wise to that in Genesis chapter 11. He goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to limit their, their capacity to sin as an entire race. And God confuses their languages. And according to the Bible, that's the result of, of our diversity in, in linguistics. It comes from our sin and God's desire to limit the capacity of our sin. And now, what do we see the Holy Spirit doing? Uniting people from different languages to hear the truth of salvation in the Christian gospel. So God confuses languages because of human sin. And in order to redeem us from our sin, he brings language together into unity to hear the message of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. You see a complete upheaval of the effects of Babel, which in the old Hebrew was a play on words. It sounded like the Hebrew word for confusion. And God is bringing clarity now as people come together to hear this new message. That the apostles have been given by the Holy Spirit. So what you get to see, what you can't miss in what Peter is saying and what Luke is portraying in his history there is that God has a missionary heart that reaches far beyond Hebrew and far beyond Greek and far beyond Latin you know, and far beyond Aramaic, the major, the major tongues of the people in that part of the world. God is saying to his apostles and to the church and to everybody there, I have a heart for the world that is far bigger than you have ever imagined because my truth is going out in every tongue. You know, the Muslim experience um, is, is limited if, if a Muslim does not understand Arabic. It's limited by the design of Islam. But there is no single language or culture that contains Christianity. There isn't a language, there isn't a culture, there isn't a people group that contains the extent of the Christian message and the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible and his gospel, his good news translates across all barriers because that's how big God's plan is. And that's how compassionate the God of the Bible is. And so it is the Christian, it is if you are a Christian, It is your task and it is the task of our church and of every church and the universal church to keep lines of communication open. We are always always trying as Christians, as individuals and as a church, we are always trying to keep communication lines open so that people can hear and understand the good news that the Bible portrays. 
Um, If there is a barrier, we want to, with God's help, remove that barrier. When we become aware that there is a barrier, we say, Lord, we want to move that barrier out of the way so that people can hear what is true. So maybe you should ask God today for a clearer view of his vision, not yours, his vision for humanity, because it's far broader than you might have expected. Its reach is universal. Now, the message of God is still the same. The reach is universal, we find out, but the message hasn't changed. The message is still exclusive. The message is still very specific because Peter goes on to quote the, uh, the, the prophet Joel by saying, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that the Lord in the Hebrew, in the old Hebrew that Joel wrote out, that's the divine name. That's the big name. It's only in the Lord and his name that salvation is possible. Peter's just repeating what's always true. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to forgiveness. There's only one way to reconciliation with your creator. There's only one way for understanding who we truly are as human beings. And it's through the name of the Lord. And it's those that come in the Lord's name who are saved. See, the content of the Christian message is rigidly unalterable. Yes, guilty as charged, Jesus says. Guilty as charged, the Bible says. The message is exclusive. But think of it this way. H2O is water. And water can sustain and nourish and give life to anyone who asks for it. To anyone who needs it. Change the chemical formula just a little bit. Uh, Make it H2O2. That's uh, hydrogen peroxide. You have something different now. You no longer have, just change it a little bit and you don't have water anymore. And it will not give life at all. It's like that with the message of the gospel. You just change it. Change the specifics. Make it a different message and you lose it. My, my chemistry teacher in, in high school taught us a little poem. Johnny was a chemist. He isn't anymore. For what he thought was H2O was really H2SO4. And the, the idea is you can drink sulfuric acid, but it is not water. And it will not bring life, although you may think it will. And so you see this theme throughout the New Testament where the apostles are, they're reaching everybody. They love everybody. Uh, The apostle Paul becoming all things to all people to win people to the gospel. And yet he said, don't change the message. He said, the church in Galatia, uh, they were having issues. Let's put it that way. And and Paul wrote a letter to them because he loved them dearly, but he he was very upset. Because uh, there, were, there was a group of people, very influential people in the church in Galatia, uh, who, who were basically changing the message of Christianity. And Paul writes to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But Paul went on to write, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
Paul had the audacity to say, look, if I show up myself and preach to you a different gospel, let me be accursed. The church was so passionate and intent on keeping the message straight and clear and unaltered. The reach was universal, but the message was specific, exclusively so. Why does Christianity cross racial barriers and always has? Why does Christianity cross cultures? Why does it cross linguistic barriers and always has? Not for unity as an end in of itself. In our pluralistic society, we celebrate diversity and unity kind of because, I don't know, we're all human and, and we're all God's children. But if you read the Bible, well, the Bible doesn't put it that way. We don't seek unity for the sake of unity. We seek unity uh, not because we're all God's children. We seek unity so that we may become God's children. That's the difference. The church should not be about unity for the sake of unity. We can all be unified in destruction and in stupidity and in foolishness like the people of Babel were. Uh, the gospel reaches people to unify them so that they can become children of God through Jesus Christ. So maybe, maybe you should ask God today for a clear understanding of his message to humanity uh, because it's far more specific than you'd expect. It is exclusively life-giving. I think what we may need to do is acknowledge our tendencies to either limit the message um, or to limit the reach. Okay. Ask yourself, do, am I prone towards limiting the message of Christianity or to limiting the reach of Christianity? We're prone to place limits on the gospel that God's spirit never intended to be there. And we kind of do it in two ways. Very general. Very general because of the lack of time. Um, the moralist in us uh, basically limits the reach of the gospel. God can't really want to reach everyone. God doesn't really want to reach that person. God really doesn't want to reach those people. It can't be that broad. Don't confuse the exclusive message of Christianity for your particular cultural expression of it. Two different things, okay? The book of Acts challenges exclusive moralism. Not reaching out to people that we think we're better than. Not reaching out to people who have hurt us or offended us. Not reaching out to our enemies. The book of Acts blows those assumptions out of the water. The exclusivity has to do with the message, not with the reach. Um, but the secularist in us, look, we live in a secular society, and most of us have been raised in a secular society. The secularist in us doesn't limit the reach, right? Because the secular culture loves the idea of reaching everybody. That's cool. No, the secularist in us limits the message. God, God can't be that loving. Or, try this one on, God can't be loving and just. 
God can't, God, God wouldn't hold people accountable for their sin. God, God wouldn't do that. He can't be like that. It must, it must be more palatable than that. It must be easier to swallow than that. Let's just say that God loves everybody and there are many, many, many ways to God and get on with our lives and love one another and do good things in the world because that's what we need. The apostles didn't say that. Paul never said that. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You don't come to your creator apart from me. There's no side door. You have to come through me. Don't confuse the universality of God's reach for universalism. Not the same thing. The book of Acts challenges our subjective ambiguity. And like the Tower of Babel, God will not allow my inventions imposed upon his truth to succeed. We cook up our inventions and and we say, ah, God gives us a good thing and then we kind of change it. We alter it. And God won't bless that because the gospel belongs to him. He devised it. He created it. He even lived it out. And he won't let any inventions manipulating the content of his message to succeed in the world. So, I would encourage you, and let's say this as a church, let's allow Jesus Christ to expand our expectations of his reach with his timeless message. I I hope you see by reading this passage of Scripture that the God of the Bible speaks your language. You realize that the God of the Bible, read, read all the way back in Genesis when God began speaking to humans in the ancient Near East through the language of covenants. Right? Because archaeology has discovered that the ancients in that part of the world, they used covenants to do everything. And God reveals himself to the Jews and he uses covenant language. You see that all through Scripture, and, and what you see here in Acts chapter, what you see here in Acts chapter two, is God speaks to our hearts through our native tongues and dispositions. I am not bilingual at all, but I have heard from people who are bilingual, who who speak two at least two languages fluently, uh, that that they often do think in one of them. Uh, that that m- maybe maybe you speak. English and Spanish, but maybe you think and you dream in your true native language. Um, And uh, at Pentecost, people are hearing God's truth proclaimed to them in their native tongue. If they were from Persia, well, they heard it in their language. If they were from Italy, they heard it in their language. If they were from Libya, they heard it in their language. And I, I believe that is a beautiful thing. I can relate somewhat. Several years ago, and I was just praying about the Peacemaker Conference in D.C. Well, years ago, uh, a, few, a few of us were here. There were a few people in the room at, at the Columbus, Ohio uh, annual conference. And so I'm like a thousand miles away from home, and I don't know many people. And I'm at this conference, and they do what so many people think is the most awkward thing. They say to a room full of strangers, okay, we want you to break up into groups and pray. And you're thinking, awkward, because I don't know anyone I'm praying with. That, 
it's the first response. I mean, Becky was with me, but we're kind of like one person, so let, we kind of cancel each other out. And you're surrounded by a group of strangers, and you're supposed to pray about intimate things with one another. Okay, awkward. But just give it time. The Lord will work, and it'll be blessed. Well, so let's start. And something, something, something extremely endearing happened to me. Uh, a man sitting next to me, <laughs> whom I now know, as Fred Atkins from Queens, New York. I had not met him. We just sat down in a group of about eight or ten people and we started praying. And the man next to me began praying for me. For me, specifically. In that thick Queens, you know, that thick New York accent. And I have not lived in New York since I was 18 years old. So, you know, I live in the other parts of the country and, you know, you people don't know how to talk. You people don't know how to talk. So... So I don't get to hear the truths of Scripture spoken to me in my native tongue. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm sitting there praying, and I'm like, oh, this is so awkward. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear Fred start to pray for me. Oh, Father, Father, dear Lord, just protect, protect this man next to me and just show, show him that you love him and that you care for him and just look out for him, Father. You're so good, Father. You're so gracious and loving. And please let Brian know how much you love him. Let him know that you care for him, Lord, that you're there for him, Lord. And he's going on and on and on. And, and, and I was deeply moved by the grace of God spoken to me in my own tongue. I don't think, I mean, other than my mom and dad, and you know, mom and dad, other than my parents, I don't know that I ever heard anybody praying over me that way before. And it was deeply moving. It was so personal. And, and, and what I'm saying to you is that if you draw near to Jesus, he will do the same thing for you. He will speak to you personally in your own language. And I don't know what your own language necessarily means for you. But he will make it personal. Same message. The message will not change. But the way he communicates to you, his tone, his posture, that will be just for you. And you won't forget it. That's the beauty of what's happening at Pentecost. As the nations come to hear the timeless, ch changeless truth of the gospel revealed in many tongues to many tribes. And the greatest expression of this is the fact that God became one of us. The greatest proof that God speaks your language is God became one of us. God, Jesus became a human being. That's how we know that God doesn't make us learn his language. He speaks our language. And he becomes one of us. And so our prayer for ourselves and as a church and our prayer for our community, I think, is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. He was praying for them this way. He said, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It is a run-on sentence prayer that's hard to parse out when you look at it, but the big picture is this. Paul prayed that Christians would have 
power from God to understand how much Jesus loves them. That's the point. I I am going to give you power, the Spirit says, to truly understand how much I love you and what I am willing to do to express my love to you in whatever language it takes. The message of Christianity is exclusive because it must give life. But its reach is universal. Never forget it if you're a Christian. Never confuse the two. And if you're not there yet, if you're not there with Jesus, let him speak to you personally. Let's pray.